0: Welcome to the backbone. But first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you the backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm/start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm/start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. On this episode, I'm joined by Les Cullen, Director of Finance and Operations at Top Hat an EdTech company whose interactive cloud-based teaching platform enables professors to engage students with compelling content, tools, and activities. As director of finance and corporate controller at Top Hat, Les leads the company's accounting, compliance, and financial planning and analysis functions. Prior to joining Top Hat, Les spent four years with Advanced Inc., a leading and innovative distributor of hardware in the edtech space. Les is a CPA CA, having started his career in assurance at PwC, and holds an Honors Bachelor of Business Administration from the Wilfrid Laurier University. Alright, so let's bring in Les from Top Hat. Good morning, Les. Uh, Thanks again for coming on The Backbone and uh, agreeing to do this with us. Uh, So, you know, prior to joining Top Hat, you were at PwC based in Kitchener, Waterloo. Uh, Talk to me about your journey to Top Hat and your move from uh, Waterloo to Toronto.
1: Um, Well, happy to be here, first of all. Um, My journey started as a co-op student actually working for PwC in the Waterloo office and then later full-time. Um, working that office was a very formative experience for me because of the nature of their client base. And so often, you know, I've had friends who've worked in their larger, larger offices of big Four say that, you know, you get stuck on one or two clients in a specific industry and maybe you're vouching cash for 12 months straight if you're on a big bank. But <laughs> by working in a smaller office, um, I believe I, you know, got a lot more robust experience with companies of different sizes, different industries. Um, different sections of the file Um, and you know to that end I had clients of all kinds big and small uh, private public startups government multi-billion dollar public companies across all different industries Um, but being in Waterloo however there's obviously a very large tech and software presence of course Uh, that was where my interest tended to gravitate to and I actually spent most of my time working in the technology practice of the Waterloo office and so it was actually a great training ground for what I'm doing now because you see companies across the spectrum again um, you know early stage late stage preparing to go public and also public companies as well um, and you get to see the challenges that come with each step of that journey um, another cool thing about working in the the Waterloo ecosystem is, is their focus on community, and so you really
0: mm-hmm.
1: start to appreciate how people who've been there and done that before um, can add value and help those that are just starting out, and there's certainly um, an emphasis of that on that within Waterloo. Um, now, as much as I enjoyed PwC, uh, I, I was evident pretty early on that auditing wasn't a career for me long term actually my girlfriend yeah my girlfriend at the time was now my wife had just taken a teaching position in oakville and we tried to do the long distance thing for a while but that's not so great so (laughs) as soon as i qualified i decided that i needed to be closer to her so um you know i picked up i moved east to toronto and i i took a job here and um that next job was actually in the West End of Toronto. I worked for an EdTech hardware distributor, and that was a really great experience because the CEO I was working for was also a CA, and he really okay. took me under his wing and helped me transition my skill set from auditor to more of a pragmatic business leader, business partner. Um, and it took, took a little bit of time, but I think he beat the auditor out of me by the time I was done working there. <laughs> Um, and then, I guess my jump from there to here, um, I got to a point where my learning had more or less plateaued at that company. Mm-hmm. They were growing, but but not as quickly. And my heart was still in software from the experiences I had had working in Waterloo. Right. And so when the opportunity to work for Top Hat came up, it was just you know the perfect marriage of that interest in software. Uh, my experiences with PwC and the ability to continue working in edtech, which is obviously something I've been doing before Top Hat as well, mm-hmm. and actually what pushed it over the top um, was the chance to work for another great mentor, our CFO Ralph Reekers, who had done it before with Eloqua, and so the ability right, right. to work hand in hand with him and learn, you know, transition my skills kind c- of c- from where I was as. Know a controller level to you know, hopefully a CFO one day, uh, and right, you know, I working with him has is, is helped me along that journey to the point I'm at right now. Awesome!
0: So, uh, you touched on this a little bit, um, but uh, tell me a little bit more about what Top Hat does and what Top Hat is all about.
1: Sure, so we are um, a SaaS company based in Toronto, we've been around since 2009. We've just actually completed raising our third round of VC financing last month. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, We have satellite offices in Denver and just actually into Sydney, Australia now. Um, We have 200 plus employees and we're growing like crazy. So by the end of this year, we'll probably be closer to 300 or 325 employees. Wow. So what we do is we're a mobile and a web-based platform used in higher ed classrooms um, with an aim to foster better student engagement, improving the outcomes of students. And you know, our main focus is really to make professors' lives easier. And so our platform includes things like um, the types of polling questions you would have seen with traditional clickers back when you and I were in university, um, but then also features like attendance, discussion forums, Uh, homework presentations so professors can put their slide decks into for the students and we're now moving into interactive content as well and that piece is actually really exciting for us if you think of the traditional way university students would receive their textbook or course packages Mm -hmm. they were these big heavy expensive things and then you may or may not ever use them again and you you know you've more or less Spent $200 to rent a textbook for a semester. Right. <laughs> um, yep. And in terms of their usefulness, you know, there's there's lots of great information in them, but they're static. They only update when the publisher prints a new edition. Um, they're flat. They're one-way communication. Um, with our solution, though, professors now have the ability to build their content on our platform and push it down to their students. So that means it's in sync in real time, so if there's updates to the material, mm. it's pushed down to the students, it's integrated with rich digital content like videos or podcasts, and then we also have all the standard top hat question features that professors tend to enjoy from our traditional engagement offerings, so right. polling type questions. And so why this is really powerful and we're really excited is, in our space there's this concept called the flipped classroom that is is mm-hmm. spoken about, and what that means is that instead of learning the core material in the class and then doing homework outside of the class, it's the opposite. And so the the professor, the teacher then really focuses on adding value to the students by answering questions and going through examples because they already have that base of the theoretical knowledge. And so in our platform, students are going to go through the knowledge base ahead of time, answer questions, um, and then by the time it gets to lecture, the professor not only knows, hey, is my class prepared, yes or no, but also, where did they struggle in those prep questions ahead of time? And then the professor can really customize what they're doing in the classroom in order to to help the students where they have a need, not just regurgitate um, the same lecture they've been giving for the past 25 years. Right, right,
0: so each each lecture is, is changing dynamically and they're learning based on
1: how their students are learning, too. That's right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if you followed some of the news recently on Pearson, where, where they've been cutting revenue forecasts, um, quite substantially, we'd like to think that the type of thing we're doing is, is, uh, the reason that they're seeing a downturn in kind of this traditional play that we're doing. So very exciting for us.
0: So, on, on the revenue front, um, mm-hmm. since you brought it up, you know, your, your users are both the student as well as the teacher, mm-hmm. but who is, who is Top Hat's customer, as in who, who is paying Top Hat? Is it the student or the teacher or both?
1: So it's, it's a combination. So we have a few different models. The, the largest right now is a model where we go out and we persuade the professor to adopt Top Hat in their course. And then the professor makes it required materials for their students and then they go and purchase a license like they would any other required material Mm -hmm. Um, so it's the student paying us and that's at this point probably 80 percent of our business 85 percent and then the balance is the enterprise play where we get to a certain point with a school where there's enough students paying for top hat on their own that we can convince the school to adopt system-wide and they will often pick up the bill for their students, um, and so everyone has a license, and why that's really exciting for us when we get to that point is we can then focus on putting more and more of their content on our platform, which really unlocks a lot more of the value of what we're doing, and we can mm-hmm. make everyone's lives uh, easier and, and better.
0: So it's truly a, a land and expand strategy, if I've it ever is. heard one. It is. <laughs> that's huh. great. Um, So switching gears a little bit now. So, you know, you started uh, at Top Hat a little over three years ago Uh, when you joined. Like you mentioned, you were the first finance hire that Ralph, who's uh, the CFO now, had made. And in that time, you've seen the company go from around 25 people to now over 200 and you're, and as you said, you're gonna be finishing off the year probably closer to 300. So talk to me about the evolving finance function. Like what was the finance function like when you first started you know, as a 25 person company to where it is now?
1: That's actually, it's a great question and something we've been talking about a lot internally as we've worked through this most recent fundraise. When I first joined, we were post series A, um, we were about a year out from raising our Series B, and I mm-hmm. was the first real accountant that the company had ever hired. Um, so and in an early stage, it's obviously much more important to make sure that you have customers that are paying you real money um, so you can continue to exist than it is to have your accounting done correctly. So it's right. <laughs> it's more of a, you do what's necessary to get by, not, not to be perfectly in compliance with all of the rules and regulations that exist. So it's really in that early stage. It's about giving our investors the information that they need, information they can rely upon, um, supporting fundraising activities with quality information, and then doing doing enough compliance to keep you out of jail, I would say. <laughs> and um, which is was, a pretty high bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then spending a lot of time being forward looking. Again. I think I've seen a lot and you know, certainly the case here where founders typically aren't finance accounting background, they're usually mm-hmm. a product background or a marketing background, something like that. And so as they transition to, to business people, you need to support them looking at things like burn, for instance, so they don't have a surprise and run out of money one day. I mean, we've all heard horror stories where companies have to raise emergency rounds because they didn't understand their cash flows properly. Mm-hmm. And you know, that really was the focus of my role at 25 people. Ralph and I would make sure that we were always providing that safety net. We were never going to be in that position. Now, from that point, um, we've obviously grown quite a bit. Um, and you not only need to scale to keep up with the number of transactions and continue to, to put them in sufficient detail, um, but uh, the biggest kind of difference is you need to go deep on a lot of these subject matters as well. So it's not enough to just do the compliance so you stay out of jail um, anymore. It needs to be proper compliance because as you move along, you're big enough and successful enough that you actually make a difference um, if you're not doing things the right way. Um, So I guess what I mean by that is if you're not paying CRA HST properly, they're going to notice once you get to a certain size and so right, right. it's kind of that stage, once you know you're going to continue to exist, you, you spend a lot of energies prioritizing and then fixing things that you've been doing kind of good enough and then doing them completely properly. And that's a journey that we continue to this day. So tax is one example I brought up a few times, um, but there's also legal compliance, HR compliance, um, you know, lots of different areas where you continuously raise the bar as you go along. And then even on the operational side, um, the forecasting and projections become more in depth, more complicated. Um, They need to become more effectively tied with the operating models of the business, the recruiting plan, the roadmap to make sure that the the cash projections you are doing aren't just numbers on a page, but they actually represent the strategic plan of the business and Mm -hmm. vice versa as well. So, the mDNA function has become increasingly important for us um, to make sure we're doing what we said we were going to do. So all of this is just more depth um, to allow our executives to make better decisions going forward.
0: Sure, sure. Um, and and you know you you talked about this concept of uh, raising the bar so you're not uh, you're staying out of jail. Um, (laughs) top hat is top hat is used by 500 over 500 schools around the world so you know it's not just the CRA that you're necessarily worried about here in Canada but other uh, jurisdictions across the world and as well so you know um, as as top hat has become this truly global organization under your your tenure at the company what are some of the unique challenges from a finance perspective that you've had to overcome uh, when the company started selling its products outside of Canada,
1: so to stay on maybe the the topic of of tax for another sec another few seconds. Yeah, sure. Um, Top Hat has approximately ninety percent of our user base outside of Canada, so becoming familiar with um, sales tax in the United States was something we started to focus on early on, um, mm-hmm. in kind of that next stage of evolution for compliance. And it's, um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know, sales tax in the United States is much more complicated than it is in Canada. In Canada, Mm -hmm. you know, you register for HST, you collect, you remit, and you you do it generally just the federal level, so one registration. Whereas in the United States, you're registering on a state-by-state or even a county-by-county basis within each state. And so, even determining the correct rate of tax to charge your customer at checkout is is a, a highly complicated process. Um, and so we spent quite a bit of time um, building this out on our side. There's software partners that we use to help us determine the rates and track our sales tax. But it's one of those things where when you're dealing with a lot of state agencies like we are, um, since we sell into higher ed, Again, we're yeah. going to be visible to them sooner than other companies might, and so we've always taken our u s sales tax obligations very seriously and endeavored to be as up to date as we can but you know certainly a, a challenge for us to to get up to speed on given that their their setup is so much different than what we're used to in Canada mm-hmm. and then another tax related challenge we see is transfer pricing now again this is something that becomes more important as you scale, um, and especially important if you're making money in any of the jurisdictions, because then there's actually taxes payable, but figuring out how to apportion your income between countries um, in a way that's fair, in a way that actually represents your business activities, um, getting that balance right, while at the same time trying to Avoid paying out significant cash taxes is, is like working on a puzzle. Um, <laughs> and, ag- and again, it's you know the primary objective is to be um, do it the right way and be in compliance. but there's, as I said, the business objective of not paying huge cash taxes in one jurisdiction when overall you're still a growth entity and you're not making profit on an overall basis, is is uh the other half of that equation so it's something that we spend more and more time on as we we move along and you know as we move post series c probably we'll be bringing someone on to our team to think about that on a full-time basis
0: right right and and again this kind of goes back to i guess um when you had first started you know you're really seeing that evolution of um just between you and ralph it was mostly focused on making sure that the company is never in a position where it has to do an emergency raise as an example but now you're moving to a stand a a place where you're thinking of bringing on someone full-time dedicated towards a very specific um, challenge that you face from a finance function perspective which is uh it it speaks to the evolution of the the function itself
1: and again it's just over time, depth needs to be added in key areas, and tax is an important one for us. So, this for is, sure. this makes sense to invest for us.
0: Great. Well, okay, so to, to wrap up, uh, I have one more question before we hop into a quick fire round. So, sure. in, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at an early stage and now a growth stage uh, technology company?
1: So I touched on this a bit earlier, and you just mentioned again, I believe the most important function at the early stage is that that forward-looking piece, mm-hmm. you don't want to, to burn out all of your cash. Um, and then as you go along, you, the importance becomes the accountability piece and the, hey, did we actually do what we said we were going to do piece. So it's looking forward and then looking back to make sure we're doing what we think we're going to do and we're using our investors' funds in the way that we told them we're going to do it Um, Mm -hmm. and holding people accountable. Got it. Got it.
0: So I'm going to jump into a quick fire round now. So the way this works is I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and you're going to have 10 seconds to respond to each. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. So let's do it. So. Your number one go-to online resource for all things startup finance related. What do you use?
1: I spend a lot of time reviewing the Pacific Crest SaaS survey. Benchmarking oh. trends. That is a great, great, quick resource whenever you have a question come up. And you don't want to, to reach out to your VCs to get benchmarking data from them. Got
0: it. Cool. Uh, and your favorite productivity hack?
1: So I'm, I have this phrase I use, it's called little and often. I believe finance and accounting functions only work properly if you do things little and often. So that to that end, I make very detailed checklists or kind of playbooks for all of our big recurring functions like month end. And our, the focus of our stand-ups on a daily basis is making sure that we're in check with those, with those, uh, those lists of tasks. If we stay on task there, we're never going to be missing our deadlines.
0: Wow, that's cool. Little and often. I'll remember that. Uh, And then lastly, one thing that you don't leave the office before finishing.
1: So before the end of the day, when I, I wrap up work for the day, I prioritize a list of one to three things that I need to get done the following day. And if I get those things done, it's been a good day the next day.
0: Awesome. So always thinking one step uh, ahead or one
1: day ahead uh, it's one of those, before you. Exactly. It's one of those things where you define them and then you you don't worry about them once you decide that you're done working for the day. But you're kind of your brain is working on them without you even knowing about it. And then you're right. The you're
0: mentally day. preparing yourself for the next day. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Les, for coming on the backbone and, and chatting with us. It was really great. Learning about your perspective from you know growing a company, and especially the finance function, going from somewhere 25 people to now 200. Uh, your perspectives on, on transfer pricing and things like this—very specific topics. Uh, it was great chatting.
1: My pleasure. It's great to chat with you.
0: Awesome. Take care. Bye now.